Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, almost Erev Purim. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Shoshanas Yaakov Salavisamecha Virosam Yachad Techeles Mordechai Shoshanas Yaakov Salavisamecha
JM in the AM, a great CD entitled Dance with Sameach, just released, uh, I don't know, sometime in the last few days. And that is the Purim Medley with Ellie Laufer and company here. At JM in the AM, had to sneeze for a moment. It's Friday morning on this 14th of March, a 12th day in the month of Adar 2. So first of all, I say happy birthday to Matis Weingast, who is celebrating a birthday today. Happy birthday, Matis. We gave him, we gave him today off. Last Friday, we made him work like crazy. <laughs> today, we've given him the day off. Happy birthday, Matis Yo. And uh, today's the 12th of Adar 2, so we'll say happy birthday to uh, Chava Yosef and Yoshua Siegel, who were born uh, the day before Tanis Esther. Those were, those were the days when Tanis Esther was on the 13th of uh, Adar. Uh, it's Erev Shabbos Parshas Tzav and Erev Shabbos Zachar with candle lighting time at 6.42. A little later than you're used to, huh? 6.42, official candle lighting time on this Erev Shabbos. Sunday is Purim, which means, of course, it begins tomorrow night. Monday is Shushan Purim. We'll be here with a Shushan Purim celebration. Don't forget tomorrow night, Avrami will host a Saturday night single dedicated to Purim starting at 10 p.m., Eastern Time on the stream at jmandtheam.org. And don't forget that Matis will be doing a great JM Sunday on Purim morning starting at 7 a.m. on our stream at jmandtheam.org. Before the Purim medley, you heard Ruach's Shoshanas Yaakov. That's a great classic. And, of course, Regesh Modani opened things up as usual for us here on a Friday morning broadcast. 23 degrees, the wind chill at 18 I'll tell you, winter will end eventually, but it's 23 with a wind chill of 18 right now. Uh, Mostly sunny today, a high going up to 47, thank goodness. Clear skies tonight, or actually cloudy skies tonight with a low temperature of 40. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high 56. Now we're talking. We're going to get into some decent numbers tomorrow. 56 is the um, high temperature for Shabbos in this area. Purim Day. Everybody wants to know about Purim Day. Looks like it'll be dry in this area, uh, mostly cloudy with a high temperature of 42 degrees. So not as good as tomorrow, but it looks like a pretty decent weekend. Uh, right now, Yerushalayim is at 57. We're at 23 with a wind chill of 18. Again, candlelighting at 642. We're now on daylight savings time. Hope your fast was fast yesterday. And now welcome to our pre-Purim edition of JM and the AM for a Friday morning as we get set to celebrate tomorrow night. Oh, yes. Plenty to celebrate, that's for sure. Malcolm Homeline is coming up. We're going to do the weekly update at about 7.40 this morning here at JM and the AM. Return of the weekly update about 7.40 this morning. Make sure to be tuned in for that. Rabbi Yudin, of course, will address us on this uh, Erev Shabbos Zachar, a very important Shabbos. They're all important, but you know what I mean. And uh, we'll wrap up the week at 9 o'clock. Naomi Nachman at 9 o'clock this morning has prepared yet another insane table for two <laughs> and i say that in the nicest way possible um table for two is a live webcast that's happening this morning naomi will have schiffer klein of joy of kosher she'll have jay booksbaum of kedem she'll have seth levitt of abels of ha- and hyman she'll be at gourmet glot in the five towns they'll be doing food and wine tastings cooking demonstrations food sample giveaways exciting purim celebration ideas it's all happening this Morning, starting at 9 a.m. at Gourmet Glot in the Five Towns. Go visit Naomi, and you could see 
and hear the entire thing on our stream if you go to jmnam.org or nachomsegel.com. So all the excitement for Purim will continue post 9 o'clock this morning. Make sure you're tuned in here at jmnam.org. A big thank you to everybody who helped us get to 250 to 244,000 in our fundraising marathon last Friday. We've already exceeded 254,000, but if we don't have your pledge, then we haven't achieved our goal. We want to make sure everybody in our audience has contributed and has been part of Fundraising Marathon 2014. If you have not yet pledged a donation to JM and the AM to keep us going for another year, please do so. All you got to do is go to jmtheam.org. At the very top of the page is an instant pledge box. Pledge away and have your uh, contribution counted, and I thank you. 26 minutes before 7 o'clock, it's JM and the AM with Chaim David.
Schein, mit Jürgen Köller zum Spiel gehen. גם חרבונה זכור לטוב, חרבונה חרבונה זכור לטוב, גם חרבונה זכור לטוב, חרבונה חרבונה זכור לטוב, גם חרבונה זכור לטוב, חרבונה חרבונה זכור לטוב, Sir, oh, today we'll marry 
dog were listening for Haman, sitting very quietly. Bang! Goes the grogger. Leia has a big bullhorn, a bass drum for Shraga. Listen to the noise they make. Bang! Goes the grogger. David reads the Migila. When will we hear Haman? Look out! Here it comes again. Bang! Goes the grogger. Hani likes to stamp her feet. Others like to whistle, but all agree that when it's time, bang! Goes the grogger. All around the synagogue were listening for Haman, sitting very quietly. Bang! Goes the grogger. Leia has a big bullhorn, a bass drum for Shraga. Listen to the noise they make. Bang! Goes the grogger. David reads the Megillah. When will we hear Haman? Look out, here it comes again. Bang! Goes the grogger. Hani likes to stamp her feet. Others like to whistle. But all agree that when it's time, bang! Goes the grogger.
I was learning in the shtibble late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. All the sputum from the shells began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise, they did a shtibble hop. It's a hard dance to top. Once you start, you can't stop. They did the shtibble hop. Then Bubba Kama jumped down from the wall. Had Bubba Basra dancing into the hall. But Bubba Messia just after Lucas was a busy dancing with Masech the Brochus. They did the shtibble hop. It's a hard dance to top. Once you start, you can't stop. They do the shtibble hop. The Mishnayis were having fun. The seum had just begun. The Gavoyim walked in and they took one look and they halished one by one. The whole Talmud Babali jumped down from the shelf, which left you to Shalmi all by itself. Then they formed the big circle and they danced the night through, so I got up to join them for a record or two. We did a shtibble hop. It's a hard dance to top. Once you start, you can't stop. We did a shtibble hop. Out from this forum shrunk a voice did ring. Seems it was troubled by just one thing. In a voice so loud that it couldn't be missed, it said, Whatever happened to the Hollywood twist? It's now the shtibble hop. It's a hard dance to top. Once you start, you can't stop. It's now the shtibble hop. Well, now my shtibble is famous, you can well understand. And the shtibble hop is the hit of the land. If you want to learn it, we'll be happy to do. When you get to the shtibble, tell them Yossi sent you. Then you can shtibble hop. It's a hard dance to top. Once you start, you can't stop. Then you can shtibble hop. Kim, Kim, slam your hands in the shtibble hop. Forget back in the kizaske. What's for a chardash? But I've turned the shtibble hop again tonight. Kim, dance. Kim, Alan, let me turn the shtibble hop.
The Purim Hora medley off of the CD entitled Avrami Flam's Greatest Purim Hits. Country Yassi and the Stiebelhoppers in a, in a selection that I assume today, if it came out today, would probably be banned, I would assume, called the Stiebelhop. Schlockrock with Tormi Shalow off the Shabbat in Liverpool. You heard Purim, Bangos the Grogger. Uh, both from Schlockrock, Esther's Prayer from Safam, and that Shoshanis Yaakov was from Chaim David. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Tzav, it's Erev Shabbos Zachar, candlelighting at 6.42. That's right, we're on Daylight Savings Time. 6.42 is candlelighting time, and of course tomorrow night at the holiday of Purim. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. I guess uh, no news today? Not sure. Does not look like our newscast from Israel is going to be uh, coming through as usual, so we will move on to hour number two of JM and the AM. On this era of Shabbos, again, candlelighting 642, weather looking good, really good for tomorrow, and uh, pretty good for Purim Day. Tomorrow, the uh, high temperature of uh, 56. On Purim, the high of uh, 42 degrees. That's what we've got. More coming up, including this hour, we've... Uh, Re-enlisted Malcolm Holmline to join us for the weekly update. It was a couple of weeks off because of our fundraising marathon, but he is back 7.40 this morning. Our weekly update right here at JM and the AM. So make sure you're tuned in as we'll explore the events of the last couple of weeks and try to make sense of whatever it is that's uh, able to be made sense of. Uh, that's coming up. Rabbi Yudin at 8.15, 9 o'clock this morning, right after JM and the AM. Naomi Nachman will be live from Gourmet Glot in Cedarhurst with an amazing pre-Purim show. All that coming up if you keep it here at JM in the AM.
Well, as our Purim celebration continues here at JM and the AM on this day between Tanis Esther and Erev Purim, Batya Jacob is with us live via telephone. You'll recall Batya, she was in our studio just a couple of weeks ago. She's Director of Educational Support Services for Yachad. And there is a way to uh, make Purim even more inclusive and um, more interesting and special for people who uh, who are in need in our community. We'll explain all of that right here at JM in the AM. Batya, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Explain to everybody what's going on and what Yachad's Purim PowerPoint is all about. A number of years ago, we were originally trying to figure out how to include the deaf and hard of hearing community into the celebration of Purim. What we developed was a disc, a PowerPoint presentation of the Megillat Esther. It's the whole Megillah, the whole Megillah, <laughs> um, English and Hebrew side by side, with the brachot included. And what we did was the psukims that are repeated, we highlighted in a different color. And every time you got to Haman, instead of making noise, which the deaf community wouldn't be able to really appreciate, we developed some com- cute computer graphics of stamping out Haman. <laughs> so you have things like Haman being spun in a dryer and um, Haman being chased by bees. Um, not threatening. I have to really um, emphasize that. that. Yeah but fun and engaging. And what we found was that not only was this program amazing for the deaf, but the visually impaired loved it because what the shul does is they project it on a screen in front of the room, and the computer mouse becomes the bouncing ball on the screen to show the place. So the letters were bigger and the visually impaired loved it. And children who had issues with focusing and attention deficits loved it because it was more engaging and it kept them, somebody was showing them the place and it kept them entertained and included in the program. And we really found that this became a program not just for the deaf and hard of hearing, but for really almost every type of child who had a challenge and adults who had challenges. Very cool. So the Megillah, of course, we always focus on the audio aspect of it and we know, you know, that our, our tradition tells us how important it is to actually hear it, but people who either can't hear or have trouble hearing, and even those who may need a visual aid, all of that is covered in this PowerPoint presentation. Exactly. It's not something that's instead of the Chazan right. reading the Megillah, it's with a supplement. All right, now, this is, this, is, this is free. It's available to anybody who needs it. It has been used around the world to this point, right? Absolutely. Um, we've been using it the last couple of years. We have an army base in an undisclosed place in Southeast Asia, which we believe is Afghanistan, they contacted us and said, our soldiers can't read Hebrew. Would you send it to us so that they could follow in the English? So it's really used this year. It's in four different continents, um, all over the U.S. and Canada and Israel. So we're very excited about the program. It's over 300 synagogues and schools that use it. All right. Now, uh, I do remind everybody, uh, uh, many people might be listening to this conversation, and Batya Jacob is with us live via telephone, and they're thinking, hey, it's the day before Erev Purim. It's probably too late to implement this. And you would say, no, it's not. What do people do? Um, all you need to do is email me at Batya, J-B-A-T-Y-A-J, at O-U dot org. And I can email you 
the program so you can use it this year and we will follow it up by sending you the actual disc so that you'll have it for future years. All right, listen to that folks, so listen very carefully. If you are anywhere in this world right now and you would like from Megillah tomorrow night or in Yerushalayim Megillah on Sunday night uh to be uh, a little bit more enhanced especially for those who are hard of hearing, are deaf or those who need a visual aid. Um, the folks at Yachad are ready to make this available to you immediately. It's absolutely free, as you heard. Just email Batya Jacob. It's Batya J, B-A-T-Y-A-J, at OU.org. You will get this email in time. You'll be able to use it both tomorrow night and, of course, Sunday morning for Megillah. And uh, are, are we uh, – is there the website that I was sent to see a sample of the video? Can I uh, mention that publicly? Absolutely. The uh, website – which will give you a screenshot and a short sample of the video so you can see what we're talking about, is yachad.org slash naim. Yachad.org slash naim. I remind everybody that naim stands for North American Inclusion Month. If you want the program, J at ou.org. Thank you for bringing this service to the community and to our attention. Thank you, Nachum, and I wish everybody a wonderful, happy Purim. Thank you very much. Same to you. Very happy, safe, and wonderful Purim. This is JM in the AM.
Take this opportunity to wish uh, David Fertig a very happy birthday. David Fertig is celebrating a birthday today, and we say happy birthday from all of us here at JM and the AM. Also, want to take this opportunity to wish Aliza Fruchter out in Cedarhurst a happy birthday. Aliza, happy birthday to you from all of us here at JM and the AM. By the way, I did catch um, the majority of the stunt show yesterday where Daniel Gordon ended up, thank God, finally losing one of those competitions. (laughs) A big thank you to our listeners who came by to make sure he would lose yesterday's Purim edition of The Price is Right at Cedar Market. Anyway, in the end, it sounded to me like he was uh, changing his tune in regard to Mun Humintoshin. So uh, welcome to the uh, positive side of Purim, Daniel Gordon. Those Munhamantashen are as spectacular as you think I think they are.
Friday morning with candlelighting at 6.42 as we get very close to the holiday of Purim, which begins tomorrow night. Reminder for those of you who love great Purim shows, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream at jmtheam.org. Matis has JM Sunday, Sunday morning at 7 Eastern Time on our stream at jmtheam.org on Purim morning. Great Purim music all day long while your suit is going on on our stream at jmtheam.org. And, of course, our Shushan Purim celebration is coming up this uh, Monday between 6 and 9. David Mandel is with us live via telephone, of course, uh, Chief Executive Officer at Ohel Children's Home and Family Services with a very important message as we get closer and closer to the start of Purim tomorrow night. David, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. Good morning. Good. Happy pre-Purim. I appreciate that. Happy pre-Purim to you as well. I take this opportunity to thank you for what uh, you and your wonderful organization did last Friday, made for a very special day for us here at JM and AM during our fundraising marathon. I thank you for that. And also, I will note an amazing night that took place this past Monday night when Ohel was the major sponsor of the Yaakov Shweki concert at Brooklyn College. So a big yeshikoch for all of that. A big yeshikoch to uh, Irving and Miriam Langer for being sponsors and for sending a very important message at that concert. So thank you. I will tell them. I'm glad you brought that up because when you talk about an important message, I would also add to an extent a very scary message. Everybody out there has to be aware of what could happen, what could go wrong, uh, and how important it is to handle especially the holiday of Purim. Obviously, this goes for all year round, but especially the holiday of Purim responsibly. What is the message, David, as we get closer and closer to this big holiday? It was the word that you just said, Nachum, responsibly. There are many messages that are given out on Purim, all of them important. And certainly, um, yeshivas, uh, yeshivas, uh, rabbanim, we've seen, um, we've seen messages come out from yeshivas and rabbanim, particularly in uh, the five towns of the community where I live, about um, abs- 
abstinence of drinking on Purim that uh, yeshiva will not have any alcohol at all. Uh, there are many shuls that have not had any alcohol at all for a number of years, um, which is a, an important message. The message that we've given out on Purim is unresponsible drinking. Right. It, um, so many people feel a responsibility to drink on Purim, <laughs> there's such a big theme that drinking is part of the suda, drinking is part of the day. So the message that we've given out this year is to drink responsibly, recognizing that people will not abstain from drinking, recognizing that people will drink. We've said to people, drink responsibly. We've also highlighted the fact there are individuals out there with drinking problems, addiction, alcoholics in our community, and Purim is an especially challenging day. We've come out with a message about everyone being a sponsor. In the addiction field, people have sponsors. Right. Someone that you talk to when you think you're not going to make it, when you may have to grab that drink even after a year or five years or ten years of sobriety. Now, on Purim, Baruch Hashem, people who drink or the Shaloyado uh, don't, they may get overwhelmed, they may get drunk. Thankfully, um, the overwhelming majority do not become addicts. But we want to take a message on sponsorship on Purim from the addiction field beyond the concept of um, um, a safe driver beyond the concept of one person in a group not drinking we want to go way beyond that and say that everyone can be a sponsor Nachum, every single person in our community by, can be a sponsor by looking out for everyone else in the room in the group, in shul watching over them so that Hatzolo does not have to this year wind up taking one or several people to the hospital in a near-death state after they become so overwhelmed with drinking. So that's the message this poem on drinking responsibly. David Mandel's with us, CEO of OHEL. You know, it's interesting. You, uh, you just touched on something that I never even thought of, and we've been uh, warning people and encouraging people to handle Purim responsibly for years and years on this program. But as you just indicated, it's not just... Uh, making sure that this day goes well. It's making sure that this day doesn't, God forbid, lead to oblivion, doesn't lead to someone's life being ruined. And as we learned Monday night from some of the things that were discussed in the video, um, there are people whose lives are essentially are completely ruined by alcoholism. And on top of that, you make such an interesting point, which I also never considered. There are people in our community who've had real alcohol challenges for whom Purim is going to be an extremely difficult day. And if we would, uh, you know, toss together all these uh, sensitivities, we've got to be very careful about how we uh, deal with different people in our community. You never know what they may, you know, what different types of things they may be going through, especially on a day like Purim. Majority of the people of Avalon Purim, and uh, as they should, I, I happen to be speaking this week also on an issue on on infertility and couples who suffer from infertility and what that means on Purim. Purim is not only the festive day as we know it, with the Suda or the Shalayada. Purim is a children's yontif. Right. 
Simchas Torah is a children's yontav. So while the overwhelming majority of people, 90, 95%, 98%, whatever number you want, there's a small number of people in our community, in our shul, in our neighborhood, on our block, that are going through a very difficult situation. And all we're saying to people is just uh, take a moment to think about that other situation and see how you can help out by being a sponsor, by thinking about it, on the issue of infertility, um, just recognizing that if um, someone does not have kids and is davening in that shul, that's not an easy yantav for them. So there's a lot of things to keep in mind. The message on Monday that Irving and Miriam Langer sent through the video right. at the sold-out Shreki concert, it was um, a story of a young man who talked about his um, becoming an alcoholic at a very young age, in his 20s. He had a wife and several children. He became despondent, unemployed, could not leave his house. And someone mentioned the story to Irving, who befriended this young man and turned out to sponsor him to go into rehab and promised him a job and he would come out successfully and the man talked about how he got through his addiction with the support of Irving and William Langer. People can go on Ohel's website and see the video. So it's a wonderful story of hope, opportunity, and success, but also reminding people just how scary it can be. Yeah, very, very touching. You're right, and it is scary, my gosh. Uh, the, I, I, I refer to page 6 of this week's Jewish Press. Anybody who wants to read uh, David's article on the topic of responsibility and sponsorship when it comes to this topic of alcoholism and, in general, drinking responsibility, responsibly on Purim, where, is, where, is, where can we find the article on um, uh, childless couples on Purim? Was that published uh, uh, this week? It was published this week on the front page of the Five Town Jewish Times, Larry Gordon's newspaper. Okay, so it's there it's for people. It's also on the Times of Israel uh, website. That's where I saw it. Times of Israel has it as part of their uh, blog series. Uh, David, a very safe, happy Purim to you and everybody, and let's hope that everyone heeds these words as we get closer to the holiday and uh, get set up for a very safe and responsible Purim. Malcolm, thank you, and to you and Stacy and your family and to your millions of listening audience around the world, thank you very much. Simchat Purim to you. Shabbat Sim- Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Simchat Purim, and that's much appreciated. 28 minutes before 8 o'clock. It's J.M. and the A.M. Fridays. We get closer to Purim. Candle lighting at 642. Much later than you thought, huh? 642. We're on Daylight Savings Time on this Erev Shabbos Zucker. Rabbi Yudin will address Shabbos Zucker coming up later. Malcolm Holmline will join me minutes from now. Keep it at JM in the AM. <laughs> Yes.
J.M. in the A.M. Mendy Werdiger with Bowie Vishalom. Erev Shabbos Zachar here at J.M. in the A.M. on a Friday morning broadcast. <coughs> Erev Shabbos Parshas Tzav and candlelighting at 6.42. That's right. Later than we're used to, 6.42 is candlelighting on this Erev Shabbos. Our thoughts are with uh, those who um, <coughs> whose family members are among the eight confirmed deaths and the over 60 people hurt in this Harlem Building explosion from earlier in the week. My gosh, that death toll seems to just uh, continue to rise. And uh, kudos to the uh, emergency workers in New York City who are doing what they can to um, help those families and, of course, to uh, uh, get things uh, cleared up in that area. It is quite a task. J.M. in the A.M. with 23 degrees, mostly sunny weather and a high temperature of 47. Looks like pretty good weather for tomorrow and pretty good as well for a Sunday. Purim. High tomorrow, 56. Tomorrow, the high, 42. Malcolm Homeline is coming up. We'll do our weekly update and get caught up on what's happening in this amazing world of ours coming up at J.M. in the A.M. This comes from Purim Tish, volume number two. <laughs> Great Purim selections. They'll continue tomorrow night, by the way, on our stream and, of course, on our Rummy host Saturday Night Seagull. Sunday, Matas will have JM Sunday beginning at 7 on our stream at jmnam.org with great Purim selections all day long. Monday, our Shushan Purim special. Don't forget, right after JMNAM this morning, Naomi Nachman will be live on jmnam.org from Gourmet Glot in Cedarhurst. She's planning quite a pre-Purim celebration. That's live at Gourmet Glot in Cedarhurst, 9 o'clock this morning, right after JM and the AM. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, who continue to enthusiastically recommend our amazing music stream uh, to their readers. And I remind you that if you want some incredible news and commentary about this uh, amazing world of ours, 
Go to jewishworldreview.com and see all the articles that they post on a regular basis. I want to thank all of our amazing listeners who got us to an incredible total last Friday to close out Fundraising Marathon 2014. We ended with 244,000. We are already up to 254,000 based on what's been coming in online. And anybody who has not yet participated, we ask you to please do so. If you if you are not part of Fundraising Marathon 2014, make sure to uh, toss in your donation by going to jmnam.org. Go to the top of the page. You'll see the instant pledge box, and that is the way you could join this incredible radio show as a sponsor of ours. <coughs> Excusez-moi. Lots of news, as you would suspect. We haven't had a full weekly update in a couple of weeks, and uh, therefore we say let's get started. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. Appreciate that. Um, one aspect, uh, I, I, obviously the draft law has now passed in Israel, and we'll, uh, we, we, we could discuss it to whatever degree you think it's important to get into. I have a feeling that the majority of our listeners have been following that story pretty closely. Um, but, but one of the things that so many of my listeners have asked me to ask you is um, about the gathering that took place this past Sunday. And this is not this is not to express opinions whether, whether it was a good idea, bad idea, etc. Obviously those decisions are in the hands of some pretty responsible community leaders, and I'm sure you'd agree with that. <clears throat> the question that people had was, were people like yourself consulted? Because uh, who better than you would know what type of impact this would make both in the secular media and uh, among government officials who may not be as familiar with our community as uh, as some of us are. Uh, so the question was, uh, were you consulted or at least asked your opinion regarding a gathering like this taking place outside of Israel? Well, it's complicated because it's not just uh, this event. I mean, it was involved when the first time that they planned to do a demonstration, uh, and in this one I was not involved at all. So you weren't consulted. Um the draft law is now is now going to be a law. The question is what's going to happen in terms of its implementation. One of the uh, obvious things that was stated is that a lot of these things take a long time to implement, and uh, there could be a new prime minister in Israel. You never know when there could be a brand new prime minister, right? We've seen we've seen in a matter of months where all of a sudden new elections are called and there's a complete change. So in the in the uh, near future, is much going to change? legally or procedurally when it comes to the draft in Israel? It's going to be in, implemented in stages, as you said, and the the real implementation built into the legislation is for after the next election, which inevitably has to take place, I think, in 2017. Um, that, that Netanyahu's term, 2016 maybe, uh, it would end. Right. And... Uh, and certainly it could end much earlier than that. So the thought built in by some into the legislation is that before you have final implementation, they'll have another election, things change. Uh, and I suggest also that people read the actual legislation before they jump to conclusions about it. Right. Uh, I am troubled by, by particularly the criminalization part. Uh, we had assurances that it will never be implemented, uh, but also insurances that it wouldn't be included. And you know, it's subject to so much interpretation 
there are many people who have called me and said, look, this is the best deal you'll ever get. This is the, you know, it's a strong thing. There's a lot of considerations. The, the terms are not onerous as, as one-sided as it's been presented. So I suggest that everybody first read it, and then we can have a discussion about it. The, um, so what's obvious is that the next election in Israel, and this might be overstating the obvious, the next election campaign in Israel could hinge on a lot of arrangements, suggestions in this area of Israeli law. Right, could be that, that, that this could end up being the biggest issue in the next election in Israel because of the possibility that a new administration could alter things. It, this could be an issue in the next election. Um, I, I don't know, you know, <coughs> whether that means it'll end up being positive or negative issue in the election right. uh, because Israelis across the board have strong feelings on this on both sides of the issue right. and. Uh, the majority of Israelis clearly support uh, some adjustment, some change in the current situation. So it can play both ways. But in, the question is now, between now and then, how it's implemented. And I heard the chief of staff this week, uh, the, the chief of the IDF staff, say that, look, I want them to remain Haredim. If we, we want them, they're smart. We want to help educate them. We want to help them get into the workforce. We um, believe that they can play a, a constructive role and they don't have to compromise their, their status as Haredim. He said, I want them to come in as Haredim and live, leave as Haredim and that they will do whatever is necessary to try and accommodate it. The degree to which that's uh, possible, some we've already seen, the Nacha Haredi and other groups, um, which uh, elements in the Israeli army were Haredim, and I saw myself when I was there this past month who are not part of Nacha Haredi, guys from B'nai Brock and elsewhere who are in some very exclusive units of the IDF, training and becoming uh, high-tech whizzes and other things, uh, other key positions. So it's, it's such a complicated issue, and it's, it's, it involves such strong feelings. But I would hope that everybody who took the time for Yom Tevila last Sunday would take time this Sunday, even though it's Purim, or today, Pray for the IDF that is fighting now in Gaza against a hundred rockets, or more than a hundred rockets, um, that have been fired at Israel against terrorist entities that want to kill Jews, and that we should all be thinking about them today and the people who fall within the range of those rockets. And we'll get to those attacks in a moment. I just a final point on this: Have you ever sat through a serious discussion in Israel? about the Israeli army becoming a volunteer army? Have you ever sat through or heard anybody from the IDF say that it might be time to just open it up as a volunteer army? Because obviously you'd get people who are, you know, completely motivated for the cause. And, you know, frankly, for, for many people, it's a, it's a great career. And in this day of, uh, of technology, when, when, when hopefully the country is not at war, we may not need as many men and women uh, in the actual uh, uh, ranks as you would during a difficult time. Have you ever heard that being a serious proposal in Israel? Absolutely. I think there are very serious people thinking along those lines and other lines about what it means, but the principle of universal service is something that is widely held. It's not a Zionist ideal. This is a national ideal. This is when you are a citizen, you have responsibilities. It's not just to take from the state. It's also to give learning I think is something that adds to the security of the state. 
but there's also shared responsibilities, and I think the balance is what's important. But I absolutely heard very serious people, including the members of the IDF and, and government officials who have debated it. In many cases, people feel it's not practical, that it doesn't work, it you know, becomes an elitist army or uh, you know, an army for those who, who need it to be integrated into workforce and that you lose some of the best. That's that. There is a value in everybody sharing in the responsibility. Young people knowing that this is, you know, a rite of passage and a responsibility that they have. Uh, and the army is an integrating force. It is some. It has produced, uh, in part, the startup nation miracle right. uh, in these special units that uh, these young people come out of and go into. <laughs> into the high-tech world with all these creative new ideas. I think here in the U.S., when it became a volunteer army, uh, the admiration that young and old had for the United States Armed Forces went up. I think there's a totally different attitude than when, of course, we went through uh, you know periods like the 60s and the draft and the demonstrations, et cetera, et cetera. I would think if it would happen in Israel and if it was practical and all that, we might see people who today would never be vocal for support for the men and women of the IDF you know, all of a sudden start showing some appreciation you know, from from their angle. Just a thought. Karsatov should be shown, no matter what, it's not because of what it impacts us, it's because of what they're doing and the incredible uh, things that the IDF does all the time, public and private, and, you know, their efforts for Jews around the world, the efforts in humanitarian causes, aside from what they do to defend the state. Uh, the cities of Ashdod, Ashkelon, Stay Road, and others, th- th- this is the first rocket fire of this magnitude since when? This is the worst since uh, before the Gaza War. Oh, boy. So this is pretty serious what happened this week. Oh, this is very serious. Even even before the Gaza War, you didn't have it in such concentrated numbers, um, you know, straight through the, the last few days. People don't know the, the extent of it, but it's... It's really a lot, and you had last night alone, um, as of this morning, I did not check uh, since Friday morning Israel time, more than two dozen rockets hit in southern Israel, most of them in, uh, or almost all of them in open spaces, which means not hitting a civilian population, except the, the Iron Dome intercepted five, which means that the computers showed that they may have hit, they, that they might have been targeting a civilian population, and therefore um, the Iron Dome is activated. The Israeli Air Force hit launching sites and munition warehouses in response, and IDF tanks shelled some of the targets inside uh, Gaza, and the um, uh, as, as Major General uh, Turgeman, who heads the Southern Command, uh, said on Israel radio, uh, after 100 rockets were fired, after people had to hide in shelters, and schools were closed and sent the kids' homes, this is what war looks like. And the, there was a special security cabinet meeting. I mean, this is serious. This could easily escalate into a full operation. Is it Hamas? That's the very good question. And the answer is that it's definitely Islamic Jihad in coordination with Hamas. And it also tells us uh, links to the story of the ship, the Iranian ship, the Klasi, that took place while we were off the air, uh, and those missiles, which were manufactured in Syria of Chinese design that went to Iraq, departed from Iran on the way to Sudan to end up in Gaza, but to go, I believe, to Islamic Jihad in Gaza, not Hamas. Hamas and Iran have 
improve their ties. You remember they right. broke over the war in Syria because the Hamas supported the Palestinians against Assad, and the Iranians uh, cut their funding and the relationship, and now they're reestablishing the relationship, and there's supposedly more coordination and cooperation and perhaps uh, supply. Part of it coming out of desperation because the Gaza has been cut off from its financial sources through the closing of, of hundreds and hundreds of tunnels by the Egyptians and of the crossings, uh, so that their situation internally has become much worse. And this, they reach out to anybody they can in order to get money and get uh, support. So Islamic Jihad had been a be- the major beneficiary. Now Hamas is, is trying to eat at that same trough. So there's more of a united effort in Gaza. It is more than just one party, and it's hard, I think, for Islamic Jihad to operate on the border without Hamas knowing it. And this all started because three guys, and and when you listen to the news reports, again, you see the distortion, this misrepresentation always says, Israel's uh, planes hit targets in Gaza after missiles were fired. Mm -hmm. Why don't they say missiles were fired on Israel, and Israel responded to protect its citizens, and carefully responded in hitting depots of, of weapons and stuff and avoiding civilian uh, populations. And the, the nature of the attacks, and the escalation of the attacks, is something no country in the world would tolerate. And there has been muted comment uh, about it. We noticed that Mr. Abbas has nothing to say about the rocket attacks, only about the response. They, they, uh, the world has nothing to say about the Class C with, with uh, all of those long-range rockets by the way, manufactured in Syria, as I said, which tells us that their missile business and the manufacturing capacity is bigger than what perhaps people thought and was assessed uh, earlier. The, uh, so the, it's a long answer to your question, but the answer is that both are involved, but the actual operational part is probably uh, Islamic Jihad, and three of their members were killed along the border. What they're trying to do is drive Israel back from the border that they will control the border area. Israel will never allow it because they know that they're planting bombs, they're, they shoot rockets, they establish themselves there and then want to kidnap Israeli soldiers. Yeah, well, if they're doing this without control of the border. Then... Well, why, yeah, why, would they, yeah. why would they allow them to do it? And, uh, and then we're going to hear demands. You'll see that. Well, will, Isra- back. will Israel's response be enough to quell a further escalation? In this case, if you were dealing with rational people, the answer would be easier. It'll depend on what the people of Gaza do, how they react to it, and uh, whether Hamas uh, reigns it in. Islamic Jihad operates like a kid who smacks somebody. They say, oh, the ceasefire, you know, let's, let's stop fighting, let's stop fighting. As soon as the other guy puts his arms down, he slaps him again. Right. And they keep firing, calling for a ceasefire, using Egypt's good offices. And then as soon as they don't, they, they uh, then attack again, and then they call for another ceasefire, you know, saying that they're hearing. That, that as soon as they signed the first ceasefire, they shot 17 rockets in the two hours afterwards. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. All right, the whole world is watching what's happening in the Ukraine. There are threats that the United States is issuing forth, especially uh, timing-wise, um, uh, referring to early next week, that if Russia does not, uh, in fact, back down, the United States is going to. Maybe you could shed some light on this. What is the United States' threat to the to um, Russia, and what happened? What, what, in your opinion, will happen if Russia does not, uh, um, does not uh, conform to it? 
Look, this is a very serious situation. I mean, it's a reversion to Cold War era. If America had more credibility, if the West had more credibility, they have none in Ukraine, and I met with Ukrainian officials and people and speak to them there. And That's uh, because what? They feel let down by the U.S.? They feel left down by the West. They they cite Merkel as being the toughest. They feel that, um, I mean, nobody wants to see a rush to war. And, you know, the options for the president are, are somewhat limited. But the problem is not just from this. It goes back to the Syrian confrontation. It goes back to other things. The, what we did in Georgia, the fact that we didn't confront the Georgia, the Russian occupation of Abkhazia and Ossetia, uh, that... Um, I mean, there are a lot of things, a lot of preludes to this, but also because Putin tests the West. They look at what's happened, and, you know, even the chemical weapons agreement with Syria, we see that it's not being enforced, and the West has very little option. And with the fact that we pulled back from that confrontation at the time, which uh, some, uh, can be argued, said, well, we, we have this deal now, but the fact is that the war continues, that there's no there's no control over it. I think Assad is consolidating his position in, in Aleppo and Damascus. The terrorist groups are fighting each other. The al-Nusra is, is uh, being, being attacked now by a coalition of the other groups, including al-Qaeda. So it's, it's uh, the ISIS, rather, is being attacked by a group, including the al-Qaeda al-Nusra uh, group. There are so many factors. But what, are, what's, what is the U.S. demanding? The U.S. demands that Russia get out by Monday? So, so here's the... The issues are, are more complex because what, what you have is uh, a, a referendum scheduled for Sunday, uh, which everybody calls illegal, aside from the people there and in, in Russia, the Russians. Uh, this is a very popular move in Russia for Putin. It's uh, a reassertion. He wants to reassert, obviously, the old Soviet empire, mm-hmm. the former Soviet Union. He's, he's doing it not just there, but you see the reaction in places like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, elsewhere. Uh, who fear that the, the same thing, and who have told us of the pressure they've been under from Russia for a long time. But there's no countervailing pressure from the West that, that helps them. In fact, they just demand more reforms and more, more uh, uh, changes by them without really acknowledging the pressures they're under and, and seeing the reality of what Putin is doing. Putin will act and press as long as he doesn't meet resistance. Right now, there is no force. The, the Ukrainian army is not capable of withstanding a Russian assault for an hour for two hours that's it and the the overwhelming power of of russia in this regard they also have you have all the oil and gas considerations that europe is dependent upon it etc and others as well you have uh, the economic implications of this and at a time when the ukraine is in terrible economic straits you get a billion dollars from the united states in loan guarantees etc this is hardly a dent in, in the terrible economic conditions, we hear food is not available in a lot of places uh, because of the you know hoarding and because of the shortages and the lack of shipment across borders and within the, the Ukrainian area. Crimea has a special status. It was turned over in, in previous agreements, but the Russians had bases there. Uh, they may be able to work out some sort of special status agreement that would recognize the, the unique Russian interest and the fact that the majority of the population are Russian-oriented. You also have the big Tartar population there that doesn't want to go back under the Russians. You have other minority populations, and you have 17,000 Jews in, in Crimea alone. Wow. And the number in all of the Ukraine 
varies between estimates of 100,000 to 500,000, and the truth is somewhere in the middle, but it is a very significant population. It is not true that there have been widespread anti-Semitic attacks. There's been a lot of stories. Some say it's Russian propaganda. Some say it's other things. There were incidents. There were a limited number, and the government, including yesterday in an attack in Kiev, reacted immediately to it. Uh, so the Jews are not the issue here, and we should, they should not become the issue. Uh, right now we care about their protection and the fact that they have what they need. There isn't a mass emigration, uh, even though there are some people, obviously, who have talked about Aliyah and begun a process, but I don't think it's, it's in very significant numbers. You mentioned that you spoke to Ukrainian officials this week. Are they anticipating, therefore, that the, I don't know, that either the country will be split or there will be a complete takeover? Like, I mean, they do realize that the West is not, it, it seems as if the West is not going to be uh, able to withstand whatever Russia decides to do in the Ukraine. Right. And nobody wants a war on all sides. And where are they leaning but, toward? They're leaning toward there's going to be a, an East and West Ukraine, or there's going to be a complete takeover by Russia? Very good question. The answer is probably all of the above, that their fear is that Russia not, doesn't want to take over all. They want to take over the eastern part, you know, the closest, the people where the people are closest to to them, uh, and and Crimea, and link them together, um, people throw in uh, other areas where, where you know, you can see how the tie-ins would work, um, so the Moldovans have to look at this and say, oh my God, we're next, or others are looking at this and saying, you know, we're seeing the pressure already, it's building up in the same way that it built up with the Ukraine. There is a lot of nationalistic support for this, this is a, a, an old um, goal of many in Russia of, of restoring the previous control over over these areas, but particularly where you have a Russian-speaking majority who identify with Russia and less so with Europe. There are others who who are angry that they weren't admitted into the EU, and, and they want to see where NATO is. They want other uh, actions to be taken. Remember, some of this had to do with the placement of missiles in in the Ukraine. Ukraine voluntarily gave up its. Uh, it's nuclear weapons, and they say, you see, we, we comply. There's an agreement that was signed by all of these parties, and nothing happens. There's no defense for it. Why? It sounds like you're telling us that the majority of Russians, because it, it, when Putin does this, he has the support of the people, it sounds like. So the majority of Russians want to see Russia, you know, take over other areas and revert back, as you just said, to, you know, the way, th- the way things were pre-Glasnost and all that. Um, why is that so much the prevailing attitude? And were all these people just sitting by in the last 20 years as the breakup took place and as, and just convinced, and people like Putin were just convinced that, you know, the moment they're able to, they'll be able to revert things back to the way they were? Well, first of all, Russia was weak. The economics were weak. The, the, Putin, I think, is feeling his oats right now, and he plays off the weakness of the West. He sees that there's very little resistance. You know, he's played a, a role, uh, uh, something times an obstructionist role vis-a-vis Iran, vis-a-vis Syria, promoting his own interests, even though they may not be really the long-term interests of, of Russia. Um, and, you know, he's a shrewd guy. He's, he's not somebody to be dismissed. Russia's power, in truth, is limited. The West really wants to mobilize, especially with the United States and the league. There is no match in Russia today. Their economic conditions doesn't support it, won't support it. The the military is uh, is not to be dismissed, but it's not, uh, you know, as modern with the technology, et cetera, that uh, the U.S. and other Western countries have. 
so there there could be a showdown and a stand down by uh, Russia if confronted with the right kind of of approach. The other hand, you have to take into account Russian pride, Russian things that we always think about the other side's pride, but not thinking about how the status and and the respect for the West is is impacted by uh, uh, by all of this. So you actually outlined again a, a lot of the dilemma that we face today. Uh, that they, they face, the Ukrainians face. The... By the way, Assad, Assad must love all of this. He loves it because it's taken attention away. I mean, when's the last time we saw Syria in the headlines? And because <laughs> the the chemical weapons are not being disposed of as promised, the uh, the pressure on them, and we don't know how to impact the P5 plus one with Iran. They could either try to show that they're good citizens and continue to participate and comply, or... They can be more obstructionist than they have been and take up Iran's cudgels more um, because that's where they see their interests. They, they do have a fundamental interest in Syria in terms of Latakia, which we discussed many times, the naval base. The, it's their warm water ba- uh, base, the only one they have in the Mediterranean. Uh, you see them uh, extending their power with, through their navy, which, again, they, they have no aircraft carriers. They're not a, a mobile like we are or could be. Um, so... Assad is looking at all of this now, yeah. and they, you know they're talking um, about um, um, uh, you know an election coming up. The Syrian the, the government, the Syrian government, uh, just approved the new election law uh, in the last few hours. So they're they're looking to go to an election. Of obviously Assad will run again, but as I've said for from the first day of this, as long as Assad keeps Damascus. And Aleppo, he will stay in power. And right now, they're consolidating their holds there, even if they're losing some of the areas in the south, and mainly because the fighting, a lot of the fighting is diverted between the rebel groups. Uh, and we've seen escalations in other areas. We saw Hezbollah took very heavy losses in fighting recently against uh, against the rebels. So we have to see what will happen when the winter ends, and we're going to see new assaults and new escalation. Uh, in, in, on many fronts, I think, in Syria. Syrian and Russian alliance is strong, right? Very strong. Where does Iran... Supply weapons along with Iran. Where does Iran fit in? As strong as the Syrian-Russian, uh, relationship, their relationship with Russia at the moment? Yeah, stronger. Even stronger. And uh, when you say new elections in Syria, uh, so obviously those of us in the West become suspicious about how an election like that would work. Would the United States actually take a position in an election like that and uh, be vocal about being anti-Assad, or will they completely stay out of it? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, the, the U.S., I mean, the, the West doesn't help anybody because there's no real support for, for the West. There's disappointment about how the West has uh, interfered, how the West has supported, how the West has uh, expressed itself in regard to the uh, to the rebel groups. And so it's not like they'd look at this as an opportunity to finally get Assad out. That's not realistic. I mean, look, we help the groups within in the country, and I'm sure we would try to see what alternative, if there, there's a candidate. I don't see any candidates right now that would mm-hmm. unite the opposition or be an alternative uh, to Assad. So I think right now, if you were a betting man, you ought to put your money on Assad <laughs> the election. Have you heard from any pro-Russian Ukrainians? You've told us about those that... Uh, are in the opposition. Oh, absolutely. You've had you've heard from pro-Russian Ukrainians. 100%. There are a lot of people who 
because of cultural, linguistic, familiar, and all sorts of other ties, historic ties, absolutely look to, to renew ties. And it's not an insignificant number. Look at the, the polling and the, the uh, numbers in the Russian cultural areas of Oklahoma, R- Russia, people who speak Russian, we have a majority of Russian uh, uh, speakers. Yes, absolutely. They identify very strongly with... Uh, and when you try to take over a country, you normally would want a country with a strong economy and good resources, right? Russia's not getting those benefits in this situation. Absolutely not. And but but, but, but then when you think about it, in the old Soviet Union, they, the majority of those, of those what do they call them, provinces, countries, areas, regions, the majority of them probably suffered economically throughout all those decades, right? 100%. So it's not like it's a, uh, it's not like a great economy, something common to that area. The, the economy, you have a lot of oligarchs, you have people who made a lot of money, and by the way, many of them were appointed to be the governors of the regions now, uh, which is sort of a strange thing, but the, but on the other hand, they say, look, they know economy, they know how to run things, they did it, they built up these businesses, therefore they would be, uh, uh very effective in uh, running it. We'll, we'll see how effective they are. Is, does Israel play a role here? Because I, I, I'm assuming part of the reason why you like to play down uh, the extent of anti-Semitic attacks, etc., is because the more they escalate, obviously the more Israel is going to be turned to to play some role or be more vocal about it, I would guess. I do not believe in playing it down, that if it, if they were happening, I would certainly... No, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you want to emphasize what the real facts are, because it... it, it Because there's so many rumors, there's so many distortions, and so many people doing fundraising, showing horrific pictures, you know, of what allegedly is going on there, because they they raise money that way, which I find not only objectionable, but I think it's it's counterproductive and dangerous. But that's another lecture for some other time. Uh, Israel uh, has interest in this, obviously, because the message that is communicated you know, uh, Israel is somebody is a country that faces challenges, and that one day could face some coalition of groups that all of a sudden decide that that they want to that Ukraine is a good model for how you do, do international affairs. Uh, Israel also feels an obligation to the hundreds of thousands of Jews. They've sent in people to do security, uh, and there's been money given to help provide security for Jewish institutions, but you can't do it for Jewish individuals. Uh, so the the effort has been to make sure that the government responds, and the government officials have said that they will respond strongly. Uh, they also have a strong relationship with Putin, so they're not going to want to get caught in the middle. And there's no reason why Israel should be in the middle of the political issues. It has a responsibility, it feels, to the to the to the Jewish community there. There was a pretty recent Netanyahu Putin meeting, if I'm not mistaken. Right this year, right? Wasn't it this past year? Yeah. This past year. Um, what do you think the population? What, what number of? How many people in Israel do you think are from Ukrainian descent? Do you have any clue? No idea. No idea. Uh, John Kerry thinks it's a mistake for Israel to demand that the PA recognize it as a Jewish state in order to achieve peace. In fact, interestingly enough, he said the issue was resolved in 1947 when UN Resolution 181, which divided Palestine into a Jewish and Arab state was passed. The resolution, according to Kerry, referred to Jewish states several times. Was 181 enough in terms of recognition, Malcolm, or we would still demand that the PA recognize the Jewish state? Let's say it was enough. But now, given the prominence of this issue, and that Kerry himself spoke so strongly about the recognition of Israel as a Jewish state, that that is American policy, that that is 
uh, you know, what they would insist on as well, and that called on Abbas to recognize the Jewish state. Now, to back off of it, that takes on a whole new message, a whole new significance, and especially coming two days before, or a day before uh, uh, Abbas is due to arrive. The day before B- the BB arrived, they had the interview with Goldberg with a lot of very harsh things said, and we don't see the same kind of demands. Now, Kerry was testifying and, and uh, uh, talked about both sides needing to, to come forward, but it's always both sides, and we don't have the kind of specific demands. And here is one of the two items that, it, that Netanyahu puts down as markers because of the insistence by the PA constantly to say, we will never recognize the Jewish state, which does say something. There's a reason why they're so obstinate and so, so uh, uh, absolute about this and about the right of return. And look at, at the detailed responses, talking about what will happen to people who accept it, who don't accept the, you know, to go back to Israel, that right. they will have the rights and their children have the same rights and their grandchildren. And he said nothing will be done, Abbas said, uh, without a referendum, uh, meaning, and he said everybody from Canada to Japan, Palestinians will be able to vote because they're all victims. And, I mean, he constantly takes these positions, which we know undermine the prospects of peace, and yet... There is not one word, not one word about his silence on the rockets, not one word about the corruption, not one word about the continued incitement. And then for, for the, the mistake is that Kerry's message again shows that America is waffling, that America doesn't stand by the principles that they assert. And this is, knowing that this is a fundamental concern, one that he has supported, it's very surprising to see this comment now coming. And saying, well, this shouldn't be a deal breaker. This shouldn't. Is there anything that should be a deal breaker when it comes to the Palestinians? Is there any principle that is really inviolate? And I'm not saying the Jewish state should be a, a make it or break it issue. I'm just saying that given the circumstances, they've already made this into an issue of that status. No question about it. And he has a rough week ahead. I mean, the United States is. I mean, it sounds like veiled threats to Russia and with deadlines. And if Russia doesn't meet those deadlines, I don't know how the U.S. is going to react. Look, we have. Uh, Nahum, we haven't been on for a while, but just take the issues that we have to address now. Uh, as you said, this issue on the Jewish state and the whole visit of Abbas coming up, the uh, Venezuela, 28 dead, the Jewish community there facing very severe conditions. The, in Turkey, huge demonstrations, 100,000 people attend the funeral of a 14-year-old killed by the army. And again, a Jewish community we worry about, but the the, he was hit by a tear gas can that he was on his way to get a loaf of bread for his family. Um, we, we see the lack of trust in the polls in, in Israel for the Kerry plan, providing security, and for the U.S. being that the U.S. is pressuring Israel much more than the Palestinians. Um, the expansion of the terrorist activities along Israel's two borders, uh, the uh, Iran shipment going almost unpunished, unresponded to, unnoticed, uh, people certainly uncaring about it, and they continue to talk about it uh, yesterday, wiping off the Zionist uh, entity, and yet we continue, we give them the money, we give them the breaks, we keep talking as if nothing nothing else is, is happening and that they're just, you know, in negotiations, and negotiations obviously so far going nowhere, uh, but they're getting uh, relief, not maybe any amounts. The good news was that we got Israel, the United States gave $429 million for Iron Dome, and the and, uh, U.S. has co-production on some of the parts, and uh, this is very important for Israel's security, as we saw uh, in the last week. 
but on every front, you see the Jordanian front uh, problems and heating up because of the judge who attacked a soldier and he was killed and uh, on the border. Who made that? I'm sorry for going back. Who made that decision? That was a congressional. Yeah. <clears throat> that was a congressional decision. Almost half a billion dollars. Almost right. Congressional decision, but the administration supported. And is that um, is that something that happens annually? When, yes. when Iron Well, Dome? there was a three-year deal that ended, and now this is a renewal of the funding, uh, which is really critical. So if Iron Dome was to continue, they would need half a billion dollars from the United States every year? It's not every year. Don't forget they are developing, uh, still in the process of developing. This, this buys new units. Uh, Israel doesn't have to every year buy as many oh, new good right point. Right. Obviously, they need to right. cover the north and the south at the same time, and you know they move them around. And these ro- and these missiles that were hit this week are a result of Iron Dome. Iron Dome took down five rockets. Uh, Israel's working on a new one called Iron Beam, which will be a laser that will take down uh, drones. Uh, the big fear now developing is in in Lebanon. Uh, Hezbollah has many drones, and these are exploding drones that they use. Uh, drones being unmanned small aircraft, but they pack them with a huge fire capacity, big bombs, and or they turn into big bombs, and they just uh, shoot, you know, fire them across the border. They go, they can target him because you have, in many cases, the ability to see, they, and they will use them to attack uh, targets inside Israel. And, and every time and they... Iron sh- beam will be able to knock them out of the sky. And you've told us an Iron Dome, every time they shoot it, it's $100,000 or $100,000? $100, right. Wow. See, well, see, the more they do, I guess it becomes cheaper. Right, but see, it seems, but seems like a bargain when you're saving lives, huh? Just think of how many lives have been saved. Unbelievable. And, and what, I mean, it's really inconceivable when you think about it and the burdens that Israel uh, faces. And, uh, you know, and if it weren't for the Egyptian clamped down on Hamas, who knows what, how That's much worse right. the situation there would have been. That's right. Uh, Malcolm, uh, I have Rabbi Yudin coming up on Shabbos Zacher. Can you give us a 60-second Purim message to wrap up? Just remember what the what the message of Purim that the Haman thought we were vulnerable because even though he saw what happened to his great grandfather Amalek because he said we were Amufuzar Mufarad we were a divided nation and the answer the antidote was Lech Kenosis Kol Yudim when as to call for all the Jews to come together because it's in unity that we find strength and at a time when we see these divisions which get a lot of publicity and a lot of visibility. It's time we come together, look at the threats that we've talked about. This depends on all of us being together and supporting one another and supporting IDF and supporting what Israel, the people of Israel at this time. Excellent message, Malcolm. Thank you so much. Simchat Purim to you, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us Fridays for the weekly update here. At JM and the AM. I just noticed that uh, Lenny Solomon has posted his Purim tour schedule, and it starts tomorrow night at the White Shul in Far Rockaway. Enjoy, everybody. Purim night with Lenny Solomon and Schlockrock. And, of course, tomorrow night in Teaneck, New Jersey, Eitan Katz starts at 9.30 p.m. at 70 Sterling Place in Teaneck with great music and dancing with Eitan Katz. And that happens tomorrow night, courtesy of Hechala Torah. A lot of wonderful things happening for the holiday of Purim. Everybody celebrate in as safe and responsible way as possible. We will have the New York Boys Choir debut of their Purim selection after a Yudin this morning right here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present 
Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Wow, what a special Erev Shabbos this is. It's Erev Shabbos, Pasha Zohar, having had Tanis Esther behind us yesterday. We are excited about the forthcoming Yom Tov of Purim, which we'll, please God, get to in a few moments. Let's just be aware that this Shabbos, we take out two Torah. The first one, we read the Parshish HaShavua of Tzav, which contains, according to the Chinuch, 18 mitzvos, 9 positive and 9 negative. From the second Sefer Torah, we read Parshas Zohar, the last three psukim of Parshas Kiseitze. According to our rabbis, the reading of the Torah of Parshas Tzav is a rabbinic mitzvah. The reading of Parshas Zohar is a biblical mitzvah. Are women obligated in Parshas Zohar? So while the Chinuch rules that they are not, the Minchas Chinuch and others opine that they are obligated, and therefore women should make every opportunity, they should try their best, if they can, to come to the Pesach Knesset tomorrow for the reading of Pashas Zohar. In fact, many synagogues have a special reading of Pasha Zohar a little bit later for those women who might not have been there at the time. It's worth taking a peek at the last three psukim of Pasha's Kiseitze. The Torah says to remember what Amalek did to you when you left Egypt. Literally, he happened upon you on the way. Now what does that mean? So Rashi gives three interpretations. Korcha, says Rashi, Mikre. Literally, he chanced upon you. This is such an interesting idea. Amalek stands for the concept of chance. What does chance mean? There is no Hashgacha Pratis. There is no divine providence. God does not run the world. And therefore, this is the alien philosophy that Amalek tried to give the fledgling Jewish nation. The second possibility that Rashi offers is Lashon Keri Vituma, impurity, seminal emission, pollution, meaning immorality. Amalek came along with an alternative lifestyle and said gay marriages, these are also permissible. And finally, the third opinion that Rashi brings is Lashon Kor Vachom, Korcha coming from cooled you off from the word cold and hot, meaning all the nations of the world, as we say in Oz Yashir, Chil Ochaz, Yoshvei Poloshes, all the nations of the world were afraid of the Jewish people. Amalek showed, come on, you can attack them. 
And Rashi brings the famous example of the bathtub, which had water, which was nothing less than boiling. Some fool jumps in. And what happened? He was scalded. He was unfortunately burnt. But what did he do? He cooled it off for others, paving the way for others to, unfortunately, attack B'nai Yisrael. The Torah charges us, therefore, when we have V'haniach, when we have Menucha from our enemies, we are to Timche, Ezecher Amalek, destroy, literally, blot out the remembrance of Amalek, Lotishkach. We are not to forget. Amalek, our rabbis teach us, are any nation whose raison d'etre, whose purpose for being is, God forbid, to destroy the Jewish people. As we say every year in the Pesach Seder, Shebuchol dor v'dor, omdim oleinu lechaloseinu, v'akadosh baruchu matzileinu miyadam. Im Hashem, tomorrow night, after Shabbos, we read the Megillah. And the reading of the Megillah tomorrow night is rabbinic. The reading of the Megillah on Purim Day is from the prophets, even on a higher level of obligation. One should try to hear the Megillah both times at night and at day. Men, women, and children, the Shulchan Aruch urges, should be brought as long as they are controlled and they don't disturb the people around them. But men and women are obligated to hear the Megillah, please God, Motsoi Shabbos, and Sunday. If one knows of somebody that cannot come to the Beis HaKnesses, start today. Call your local rabbi and arrange for the Megillah to be read for them, either in the hospital, nursing homes, or at home. During the day of Purim, we recite three brachos before we read the Megillah, as we do on Mutsoi Shabbos. Al Mikra Megillah, Sha'asa Nisim, and the bracha of Shechianu. The Sfardim do not repeat the Shechianu on Purim Day. We announce that in addition to the reading of the Megillah, the Shechianu goes on the three additional mitzvos hayom. With the reading of the Megillah comes the mitzvah of Matanos Le'avyonim, giving gifts of money or food to the poor and ideally one should give to at least two poor persons on Purim if you'll have the chance of giving it to them directly that's the best and if not put it aside on Purim and give it after Purim or give it aside already today and once again call your rabbi and he can arrange that this will be given on your behalf on Purim and while the Shulchan Aruch does not say how much, I think minimally we should give to two individuals 
that which would be enough for a minimum su'uda, a minimum meal. So I would say give approximately eight, ten dollars to two persons. And then by all means, if we can give more, we should certainly try to do so. Our joy is expressed by helping others. The other two mitzvahs of the day is to have a poor meal, a special su'uda, most preferable to wash before one eats the Purim su'uda. And the other mitzvah is mishloach manos, to send food to two different foods to at least one other person for the purpose of spreading friendship, goodwill, and good cheer throughout the community. Haman, in chapter 3 of the Megillah, says to Achashverosh, there is a people, Mifuzar and Mifurat, scattered throughout your kingdom, disjointed. I strongly recommend we should send Mishloach Manos, but not necessarily to your best friend. Your best friend is going to be your best friend, whether or not you send him Mishloach Manos. It's that person in shul that you even forgot why you don't say Gachabis to them. That's the one you should send Mishloach Manos to help bring about greater friendship in the community. We include Al-Hanisim in the Shmona Esrei and in the Birkas Mazon on Purim. I'd like to connect Purim with Parshas Tzav in the following way. Among the nine positive mitzvahs in the Parsha is the mitzvah to kindle and to have a fire burning on the Mizbeach every single day. The beginning of this week's Parsha, chapter 6, verse 5, the fire on the altar shall remain burning on it. It shall not be extinguished. Now, the Gemara in Yuma Chof Aleph Amid Beis 21b tells us that even though miraculously fire descended from the heavens, there was still a mitzvah to bring Minahedjo. Man was to bring fire. Why? Why duplicate that which is already there? And the Chinuch suggests a very perceptive answer. And that is God always tries to minimize his miracles. So even though the fire coming down from heaven was just that, a miracle, Hashem wants us to, quote, cover up his miraculous by our bringing fire every day. There is a very important lesson which this mitzvah is teaching us. We think that if fire has the capacity to burn, this is, after all, its natural component. 
And what we're being taught is no such thing. It's all coming from on high. As the Gemara teaches us regarding Reb Chanina Mendoza, who was so poor and he didn't have oil, only had some vinegar. And when his daughter said, Abba, what are we going to do for Ne'er Shabbos? What did he say? Misha Omer, the one who gives and charges the oil to burn, meaning nature, which comes from on high, from Hashem, so too he will give the capacity for vinegar to burn. And it did so for Reb Chanir Ben Dosa. My friends, this is Purim. Purim, the scroll that we read, is called Megillas Esther. The literal translation of the two words, aside from meaning the scroll of Esther, means to reveal that which is hidden. Namely, that after all, we make the bracha before we read the Megillah, both at night and during the day, that God performed miracles. Where's the miracle? When it comes to Hanukkah, it's open and shut. One day's worth of oil burns for eight days. Wow, that's a miracle. Where's the miracle here? I'd like to point out, there's a universal custom that the one who reads the Megillah in the synagogue opens the Megillah before he begins to read it and folds it, pushta ki'igeris, like a letter. Why? Because if you read the Megillah as a scroll, chapter 1, followed by chapter 2, each of the ten chapters has perhaps its own independent story. When you open it up, you realize, wow, it's all connected. And you see literally the hand of God. And that's what we ought to do. We ought to reveal Megillas, to reveal Esther, that which is hidden. And interestingly, the Maharal, in his commentary on the Megillah, or Chadosh, in chapter 3, says... This might be one of the reasons that we have the teaching found in the Gemara, Megillah 7b. Chayav Adam, Inish, Livsumi Bapuria. A person is obligated to drink on Purim Adalo Yoda until he cannot distinguish between blessed Mordechai and cursed Haman. Interestingly, we should realize, especially today, we are drinking a little bit more than usual wine at the Purim Suda to relive the Purim experience. It all started in chapter 1, when on the last day of Achashverosh's party, Achashverosh drank Kitov Leiv HaMelech Bayayin. He drank too much wine. And therefore, this enabled Vashti to be deposed, making room for Esther, putting her in the right place at the right time. In chapter 5, when Esther comes with the orders of Mordechai, go and tell the king, plead for your people. So basically she had a three-word message. What was her part in the play? Three words, save my people. And what does she do? 
she forgets her line. You'll take a look in chapter 5. What does she say? Come to the Mishteh. Come to the party. And it's referred to as Mishteh Hayayin. At the Mishteh Hayayin, what does she say? Again, the king says, Estela, I'll give you what you want. Up to half the throne and the kingdom. And what does she do? Again, she forgets her line. She forgot, save my people. What does she say? Uh, come to the wine party tomorrow. While she was waiting for the right time, Hashem did his. Chapter 6, that night, that night, the king couldn't sleep. Which king? The king of kings? as well as Achashverosh. And the rest, as we know, is history. Therefore, we drink more than usual. Why, says the Maral? Because when a person is under the influence of, he clearly understands that he is not in the driver's seat, but rather he's under the influence of And that's what Purim is. Purim is to remind us that we are clearly under the influence of Hashem and it's all how He orchestrates and it's all how He is the one who brings about what we call the natural, which is really the miraculous. And that is why in the future, the rabbis tell us that Purim will play such a prominent role. Because it's easy to see God in the miraculous, but it's a greater feat to see Him in the everyday, which is that which is Purim. So I conclude that not only are we to be careful, and you know yourselves, what will you say when you drink a little bit too much? And if what might come out is not proper and is not in praise of God, no mitzvah to drink on Purim. And be responsible to make sure that your guests are treating, I certainly are not driving, and even they, that they handle it and that we can elevate our su'uda, elevate our respective Purim meals to a truly spiritual high through the wine, bringing it as a Kiddush Hashem and not, God forbid, Echil Hashem. Shabbat Shalom and a Freilach Purim to all.
Jam and the AM Friday morning, getting closer and closer to the holiday of Purim. Don't forget, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night, starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream. Matis Sunday Purim morning at 7 a.m. with JM Sunday. Great Purim music all day long. We'll do our Shushan Purim special on Monday morning. It's Erev Shabbos Zohar with candle lighting at 642 on this Erev Shabbos. I want to thank everybody who made our amazing 2014 fundraising marathon a great success. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That ended last Friday. If you haven't yet donated to the radio station for this year, please go to the link at the very top of jmnam.org. You'll see the instant pledge box and uh, pledge your support for a great year of JM in the AM. Mostly sunny with a high of 47. Things warming up a bit over Shabbos. Thank God. Mazal Tov to the owners of Beit HaShalom. Those of you who've been following this uh, story since, when is it? 2007 or so, Beit HaShalom's been an issue in Hebron. I'm sure you're happy to find out that uh, this week, Beit HaShalom, according to the Israeli Supreme Court, uh, has been returned to a Jewish ownership in the holy city of Hebron. So uh, Mazal Tov to everybody and a special, special Purim Sameach greeting to the Abraham family from all of us here at JM in the AM. A reminder that Naomi Nachman is coming up next. Naomi Nachman is up next here at jmintheam.org. She is going to be live, and I mean live, from uh, Gourmet Glot in Cedarhurst with Jay Booksbaum and with uh, Seth Levitt of Abel's and Hyman and with Schiffer Klein of Joy of Kosher. They'll be doing food and wine tastings and a cooking demonstration and sample giveaways and a big pre-Purim celebration idea segment. It's all happening today, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It starts. You can watch it and hear it online on our stream. Enjoy it right after JM and AM this morning. Hey, we've been telling you that the New York Boys Choir has a brand new uh, selection for Purim. I believe they call it Pump It Up. I believe that's the official name. NYBC, New York Boys Choir for Purim 5774. Their debut right here at JM and the AM.
JM and the AM, there it is, brand new NYBC, New York Boys Choir, with a single they released in honor of Purim 5774, entitled Pump It Up. That's the name of that brand new selection. We'll have a Shushan Purim special on Monday. Matis will have a JM Sunday in honor of Purim. Uh, this coming Sunday at the 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in on our stream of Rummy Host Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night on our stream. JMTheAM.org. Hey, want to wish a very special happy birthday going out to Grandma Roberta Eisenman of Suffern, New York. May you continue to be blessed with good health. How much simcha and nachas from all your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. With love from Florida, Staten Island, Muncie, and Far Rockaway. Yeah, we know who that's from, of course. <laughs> People who are responsible for a nice surprise that we got yesterday. Hey, uh, Grandma, Mazal Tov, and happy birthday from all of us here at JM in the AM. Time to say good job is candlelighting at 6.42, a little later than we're used to. 6.42 is candlelighting time. Time to say good job is with Journeys at JM in the AM.
Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator It's a very, 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 very special Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Happy birthday, Matis Weingast. Thanks to everybody who helped make us a... Uh, who helped us get to an amazing total last week during the JMNAM fundraiser. If you did not have an opportunity to pledge, make sure to go to the top of the JMNAM.org page and pledge in the instant pledge box to support us for another year. Naomi Nachman is next, live from Gourmet Glotten Cedarhurst. That happens now on JMNAM.org. Watch it and listen to it and enjoy it. It'll be a great pre-Purim celebration, that I can guarantee you. Uh, tomorrow night, it's Avrami on the stream. Mat this Sunday morning, and Monday we'll do our Shushan Purim special right here at JMNAM. Have a fabulous and wonderful Shabbos and a great holiday of Purim. Till next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future. <laughs>